about 75 to 80 degrees. The sun was bright and hot, <laughs> really hot. Although there was a cool breeze, and all 14 of us had had a wonderful night's rest. We'd been walking at a steady, comfortable pace and had enjoyed some phenomenally beautiful vistas. If you haven't been to the Olympics, gorgeous. And as well as each other's most pleasant company, we were doing well. Now somewhere in the neighborhood of lunchtime, we arrived after having climbed somewhere around 4,500 feet at the Anil Creek Junction. Unbeknownst to us, we were about to experience one of the greatest pleasures of the week. You see, the front edge of the snowpack came right down to the trail, right where we were walking. The mouth of its huge cave, probably 10 feet tall, maybe more, half again as broad, it was right there, right where we were. Uh, it went up as far as you could see. The cold, almost freezing breeze blowing out of the cave, oh, it felt more than wonderful to this party of sweltering hikers. It was hot. But that wasn't it. That wasn't the unexpected pleasure. The world just isn't what it was even a generation ago. You can't simply drink out of a mountain stream anymore. Germs are carried by wildlife and, well, they're deposited <clears throat> in about one in ten streams, Giardia in particular. This particular germ will give you symptoms that would cause the defeat of an army. I can guarantee it sometime after this, I had those symptoms. You do not want them. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. So all the water that we had drunk for the last four days had been sucked through filters. And it tasted okay, but only okay. The kids were scampering around. That's the rest of the adults, and I enjoyed the cold air. That was the gift of the snowpack. And when we suddenly realized something, if the snowpack went all the way to the top of the mountain, no animal could deposit a germ in the stream. We wouldn't have to filter the water. It takes a lot of time and effort to pump all the water you want to drink through those filters, and it dampens the taste, of course. So we climbed up the side of that little valley so we could see, and sure enough, the snow went all the way up the mountain. Now, although our doctor was unsure, she and her family had already experienced these uh, <clears throat> joys of Giardia, we decided to go for it. Dennis took the first drought. The wonder on his face said everything we needed to know. Wow! Pure mountain snowpack water. I think it was about 10 years later when Dennis and I were together at some function that he said, you know one of the greatest moments of my life? It was when we drank the pure water from that stream. In my entire life, he said, I don't think I've ever enjoyed water or any drink more than that. It was truly amazing. And I would have to agree. Pure mountain water. Purity. Pure beauty. We love the purity of children. Their innocence is intoxicating. As they grow to become young adults, if they are allowed to keep their innocence, their purity 
that beauty does not fade too terribly much. And I believe, I think that a young woman in the flower of her youth, holding purity in her hands as she walks up the aisle towards her soon-to-be husband, I think it may be one of the most beautiful sights in the world. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. One time (laughs) in the history of this tired old world, the purity of innocence was held by a young woman as she bore her first child. Don't misunderstand me, please. A man and a woman who have a mutually exclusive physical relationship that they have enjoyed only within the bonds of marriage are pure and innocent. But not in this special way. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The angel talked privately with Mary. No one else knew. Not even her fiancé. So when she was found to be with child, he was confused. He saw the obvious purity in Mary, but she was also obviously pregnant. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Purity and pregnancy in a way never before or since experienced in the world. But wait, you ask. Mary wasn't perfectly pure, was she? Doesn't the Bible say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? And you are without question correct. Mary was pure in the sense of her virginity, but was not without sin. The Bible is indeed clear that the only human who was without sin ever in his life was Jesus. That, in fact, explains the need for the Holy Spirit's involvement in Jesus' conception. Mary, you see, was born to and of parents who were sinners, just like all of us. (laughs) So their sinful nature was passed on to her. She was, by nature, a sinner and she sinned. The Holy Spirit ensured that Mary's sinful nature was not passed on to Jesus. Fun side note. Couldn't he have done that with two human parents involved? (laughs) Well, sure, he could have. Certainly there would be no sin in Mary and Joseph producing a child after they were married. In fact, they had a number of kids after Jesus was born. But the conception and birth of Jesus that way would not have offered and would not have had the effect on the mere human participants that he desired. So Jesus was born into this world sinless by the agency of the Holy Spirit, the wind, the breath of heaven. The Holy Spirit brought half the DNA, so Jesus was truly both a son of man, his favorite term for himself, and the Son of God. This involvement of the Holy Spirit, how far does it go? 700 years earlier, this same Holy Spirit had led Isaiah to write of Jesus and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Note all that the Holy Spirit does will do when Isaiah wrote in the life of Jesus 
wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Later, Isaiah will write of Jesus' actions because of the Spirit's work. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Jesus himself confirmed that his work was driven by the Holy Spirit. An example. Shortly after his public ministry started, he came to the town of Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He went into the synagogue and stood to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The life of Jesus is intimately, inextricably intertwined with the work of the Holy Spirit. Certainly he was conceived by him, but it goes far beyond that. Let's look at the only childhood scene we have of Jesus. He's 12, and for the first time he goes with Mary and Joseph to Jerusalem for the Passover. After the celebration, his parents head back, as planned, to Nazareth. This is a big caravan, too dangerous to travel alone then. And it's not until evening when they start to make camp that they realize Jesus is not with them. They immediately head back to Jerusalem and for three days look everywhere for him before finally, in desperation, it occurs to them to look for him in the temple. They find and berate him, explaining how long they had been looking for him. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Twelve years of age. How did he know that God was his father? The adults there didn't get it. The very adults who were kind of involved with the angels and the Holy Spirit's work back when Jesus was conceived. They experienced it. Jesus had only been told about it. Well, probably. There's actually no record of them telling him. For certain, they had forgotten. But Jesus knew. And catch that last phrase. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Okay, anybody can and should, with God's help, do that. It's true. But this one is also the Son of God. How can he increase in anything? Because, as this demonstrates, he was truly a human being, fully man. And as a true human being, he didn't know who he was when he was born or when he was first growing up. 
Only with the Holy Spirit's involvement could he have come to know who he truly was. Well, Jesus grows up. He starts his ministry with with what most everybody started anything with then, baptism. (laughs) Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. This sign should erase any idea that Jesus did his ministry on his own. Is there any other time when the Holy Spirit appears in physical form? That's a rhetorical question, but the answer is no. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was with Jesus in a special way as he did God's work. Immediately after Jesus was baptized, he endured a 40-day fast in the wilderness and then was tempted by Satan. And how, you might ask, did that come about? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, (laughs) The Holy Spirit brought him to the very place where he knew Jesus would be tempted by Satan. Yeah. (laughs) In fact, Mark says the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Why? Well, simple. Jesus needed to go through those temptations the Holy Spirit put him in a vulnerable situation near starvation and then let the devil have at him. It truly was for the greater good. The Holy Spirit is God. He knows all things. Unlike any human being you will ever meet in this lifetime, he actually knows what is the greater good. (laughs) Jesus trusted him and submitted to his leadership. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Jesus didn't depend on his own power even when it came to where he went and what he did in his human nature. It was all about the power of the Holy Spirit. In arguing with the Pharisees who refused to give credit to God for Jesus' miracles, they claimed it was Satan who did the miracles through Jesus, Jesus said, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The miracles that Jesus did were really done by the Spirit. He, Jesus, simply requested them of his Father. What about something more mundane, maybe something that we're more familiar with? John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus, said, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Okay, we don't have the Spirit without measure. (laughs) We're not perfect and could not contain such a thing. But we understand words talking. (laughs) The words Jesus spoke came through the Holy Spirit. Even in his prayers, he depended on the Holy Spirit. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. His teaching, all through the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Everything he did was through the Holy Spirit. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus was born on that Christmas day more than 2,000 years ago. Born for what? To die. We've established that Jesus was truly man. How does a man offer himself for others? Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the greatest event of all time and to get there without blemish. That event, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, he asked his disciples to remember not his birth, not Christmas, no, the other end of his first advent, his death, and something else. There's something beyond his death in which the Holy Spirit was involved. For Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit showed the reality of Jesus as Son of God through the resurrection, which, by the way, He accomplished for Him. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Jesus allowed Himself to be killed as a sacrifice for all of us. Part of why he could? He trusted that the Holy Spirit would raise him from the dead. From conception through protection and guiding as a child, starting and accomplishing his earthly ministry, helping him endure suffering, even the suffering of the cross, and faithfully bringing him back to life eternal. This the Son, in human form, did through the Holy Spirit. He could trust the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful, of course, to consider the role of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life, but that was a long time ago in a land far away. <laughs> and I know we love Jesus. We know He's alive today and He cares for us deeply. But what does all this mean to us? It's not like any of us were conceived by the Holy Spirit. Or were we? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm sorry, the kingdom of God. Water is, of course, a metaphor. By it, Jesus means a person is born physically after a natural conception. But, you remember that every human parent is a sinner. Every one of us. <laughs> every one of us sins. If one desires to enter the kingdom of God, being born of water is not sufficient. We need to be born of, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Can this really happen? Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Truth is, we're all dead men walking. <laughs> it's only a matter of time, and we'll all be dead. Most people fear death, and they ought to, unless, unless the eternal Son took on human flesh and lived as we do. Why would he do that? <laughs> because he is the person of the Son. He has another nature, his eternal divine nature. He is our creator, 
which means we are his children. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There's no need to fear anymore if we are born of water and of the Spirit. Most people seek pleasure. They grasp for themselves because they fear death. Everything is going to be taken away from me. So they grasp to get all the gusto they can get from this life. Are we born of the Spirit? Then we will, like the Philippian church, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit for one reason, to die. And in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. There is a sense in which we can be like Jesus because the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. On our own, we haven't got a chance to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. I mean, forget it. It'll never happen. But if we, like Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives to the point where our minds and hearts are filled with him, then we can indeed offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And on that day, when the Holy Spirit's conception of our spiritual lives reaches full term, we will finally be fully born again. Perfect. In this life, we can improve. <laughs> we can walk ever closer to Jesus through the Spirit. But always before us, in our future, we can be confident that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. We can trust that the Holy Spirit will raise us from the dead. We can give ourselves away for others with the help of the Holy Spirit. Even our prayers should be led by the Holy Spirit, depending not on our own power, but that of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that we can endure any temptation that comes our way because the Holy Spirit carefully guards us and Satan has no power beyond what he allows. Even what we say should be led by the Holy Spirit. Whatever work we do, we do for God and we need to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. We really only come to know who we truly are through the Holy Spirit. For we too were conceived by the Holy Spirit for our second birth. 
one that will eventually result in a new, glorious, beautifully pure bodies and spirits born into the new creation in which he can then work perfectly as he did that one who was born in a cattle stall and placed in a manger on that first Christmas day. Father, when we look at Jesus, we kind of think, yeah, but (laughs) we're just us. And we are sinful. And he was without sin. And that's a pretty huge gap. And he's the person of the Son. And, well, we're just your creatures. But we are your creatures. We are your children. And you've made it possible for us to follow Jesus Christ in a way that we don't entirely grasp, but we know that Jesus said that we are born again of the Spirit. We are conceived in some spiritual sense by the Holy Spirit. And one day, we will, in fact, be born into that new creation. For now, we're still developing. We still have a long ways to go. <sighs> and some days, the distance seems ever further. But some days, we hear well. You instruct us through the Scriptures that it's our job to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to work at learning what we're to do. We're supposed to work at learning your word. We're supposed to work at speaking to people about you. We're supposed to work at even praying to you. It's it's not something you want to poke into our brains. It's something you want us to learn. And so we ask that you help us because we can't do it without you, without your spirit. But we do want to live like you in this Christmas season as we think about the amazement, the wonder of the conception and birth of your Son, we just pray that you would help us to remember the Holy Spirit and His involvement and how that very involvement is all for us and not just to bring Jesus in the world, but also to illustrate to us the new nature of our spirits and how we can be born again as a part of your eternal kingdom. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture.